Okay, this morning's Bible reading is coming from Exodus chapter 15 from verse 22 onwards and it's entitled The Waters of Marah and Elim. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they travelled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, They could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Meriwether Lewis and William Clark were given a great challenge. They were to link the waters of the Missouri River to the waters of the Pacific Ocean over in America. There was an assumption that there would be a water route that would connect the two, but nobody had found it yet. They believed the world was arranged in such a way that they'd be able to connect somewhere and canoe all the way through and get from one side to the next. They were explorers, and you may have heard their story. Thomas Jefferson commissioned Lewis and Clark to find this waterway. And in doing so, that increased the trade route for America, and the prosperity of this young nation would grow and rise. So they set off down the Missouri River, dreaming that they would discover this Northwest Passage. However, they would discover uh, a reality that after 15 months of going upstream, they were looking forward to a time where they would find some sort of waterway or something that would actually help them start to head outward and downstream to the Pacific Ocean. However, what they found wasn't a gentle slope, wasn't a river or a stream or a lake. Rather, they came across the Rocky Mountains. They stretched out for miles, these huge, huge mountains. No one had expected it to be that way. They stretched out as far as the eye could see, one set of peaks after the other. And with that, a reality set in for Lewis and Clark. And that reality was, there's no Northwest Passage No river that was going to navigate them from the inland to the sea. Their assumptions of what they were coming towards was very, very wrong. And the mountains in front of them, they were like no other mountains they'd ever seen before. They were not gentle mountains that they could just climb up and take their canoe alongside with them. (laughs) They were described by one of the travelling party as the most terrible mountains I ever behold. (laughs) Lewis and Clark, they had planned on exploring the new world on a boat, in a canoe, canoeing upstream until they hit downstream, and now all their assumptions had been devastated. They were not able to canoe 
the mountains. They were heading into totally uncharted territory and a canoe was not going to be helpful to them. What was in front of them looked nothing like what was behind them. There was no experts to help them, no guides to set them through. There were no best practices, nothing. They were alone. Now, the story of Lewis and Clark, it connects with us in some way. Because for many of us, today looks very different to what it did yesterday. Post-COVID, if we can call us in post-COVID, we're not really post-COVID, but coming out into some sort of normality is very different to what it looked two and a half years ago, isn't it? Not just for the church, but for businesses, for sporting clubs, for organisations in all fields, and for the wider church, not just KSBC. The world in front of us is vastly different to the world that we left behind two and a half years ago. And we don't just see it in, our, in explorers, in their stories. We see it in, in the movies, don't we? That we see that the, 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 people, the action adventure people, they have to go from one space into an unknown space. I think of Elsa trying to find the little voice that keeps whispering to her going into the unknown. And all you people who aren't parents that haven't watched Frozen 2, just get onto it. It's so good. So good. <laughs> One of my favourites. <laughs> but even thinking about our cars, who would have thought 15, 20 years ago that our cars would be powered by electricity? The future looks nothing like the past. The church has been seeing this for a long time, though. Things that worked in the past are no longer working for us in the present. And going to the future, it's going to be the same story. Leadership coach and writer Marshall Goldsmith summed it up this way. What got us here is not going to get you there. What got us to this point in church history is not going to get us to that point into the future. Because the reality for the church is that things are different. Therefore, go, that we've been talking about over the last few weeks, must look different to therefore go 30 years ago. At our Connect group last night, we meet on a, on a weekly basis on a Saturday night. Uh, Jason and I, I was seeing this morning, Jason and I led us in an amazing discussion um, with our kids over what it will mean into the future to be a Christian. In their devotion, Jason read from the newspaper. It's an article from Greg Sheridan. And I just want to read little bits from it um, that he, was, he brought to us. He said this, Christianity is under siege by a culture hostile and uninterested in its ideas. We are on the way to becoming, for the first time, an avowedly anti-Christian nation. Not just a non-Christian nation, but anti-Christian the census tells us, the culture tells us, the law tells us. He says, this is not a gentle decline. It is a bus hurtling off a cliff. As recently as 25 years ago, so this church was, was around, as recently as 25 years ago, nearly three quarters of Australians called themselves Christians. Three quarters of Australians. In 2011... 61% was still solid, was still a solid majority. Five years later, it was 52%. Last year, just 44%, and it's still falling. 
He goes on to talk about a book um, by Stephen McAlpine, who's the Perth Evangelical. And the book's called Being, Being the Bad Guys. And in it, he says this, he says, Stephen McAlpine presents the dramatic transformation in Christian, Christianity standing. Wasn't it only yesterday Christianity was regarded as a societal good? Now, it's not only unpalatable, it's positively toxic. It's pretty hard-hitting, but there's a reality to it. And I think we probably understand it, because as Christians we feel it in our society. It's hostile now. It's positively toxic. In fact, I was speaking to someone this week that suggested the decline in the church has been happening for a long, long time. We probably already know that. But the road out of COVID uh, is going to be looking very different to the one that we went into COVID in. And COVID has just accelerated things. The changes that was going to happen over time have been accelerated from COVID. One of these things, post-COVID changes, is what constitutes regular church attendance. In uh, pre-COVID, there were suggestions that church attendance, you'd be a regular if you came to church once every two weeks. That was what a regular attender at church. McCrindle Survey, who does the National Church Life Surveys and um, big surveys, now state that regular attendees at church are those who come to church once a month. That's a regular attendee. That's what they call it. Do we think that attendance might have been heading that way anyway? We can't tell. But the reality is COVID's fast-tracked things a bit, and church attendance is one of them. The world we live in now is vastly different to the world that we knew two, two years ago, only two years ago. And our canoe is not going to last the journey forward. Being a church that therefore goes is going to be different to a church that therefore went 30 years ago. We live in a society that was, we lived then in a society that was empathetic to the Christian message. What we've just heard is that has changed. Our connect group conversation with our kids last night revolved around how do we remain true to who God has made us in a world that doesn't find the message of Christ good anymore? Good news, we spoke about this last week, the good news doesn't always get taken as good news in our schools, in our workplaces, in our sporting clubs. Just this week, you would have seen it on the news, seven manly rugby players have boycotted their game where they were being asked to wear a jumper that went against their Christian beliefs. As a round of football that was meant to be inclusive, they called it inclusivity round, it told me that Christianity has been relegated to the space of non-inclusion in Australian society. And they caught flack for it. If Jesus is telling us to be a church that therefore goes, then we need to learn a few lessons that redefine what it means to therefore go. We need to think about wandering into the unknown through these mountains and not expect to canoe all the way through. Moses had some of these great challenges in his time. He leads the Israelites out of the, um, the, the, the slavery and into the wilderness. Egypt was a depiction of anxiety, a place where it was heavy-handed sort of oppression. It was relentless. It was a society where their, who they were was not important. Pharaoh, he fueled all these problems through his fear of losing his great um, army of brickmakers. 
who were the Israelites. He, he feared that uh, his fear created this great oppression over the Israelite nation, and they were treated so harshly. They had these, he had these high expectations that you need to continue to make these bricks so I can continue to build and my kingdom will grow. And God hears the groans of his people and raises up Moses. And if you don't know the backstory of Moses, go back and read through Exodus. It's a wonderful story. And through Moses and the ten plagues, God convinces Pharaoh to release the whole nation. Get rid of them. We can't take this anymore. Only to realize that his whole workforce is now gone. So he chases after them. He sees them in the middle of the sea. Crazy. The sea's edges are raised up to protect those who are walking through. The Israelites made it through and the Egyptian army was rapidly coming after them and the waters came crashing down and the, and the Egyptian army was wiped out. The Israelites were free. God was good. God released them from that oppression. And they get out of the slavery, the pain, the heartache. In Exodus 15, Miriam and Moses, they sing a song. This new nation was going into uncharted territory. We're told that by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. It's in Exodus 13, 21. So they start wandering through the desert, not convinced of the way ahead, but following the cloud or the fire fearlessly. The way ahead was unknown, but they had the assurance that God was with them. God was leading them into this unknown space. They were no longer in their canoes. Things have changed. However, from what we read this morning, they're three days into their trek and they hear murmurs. In fact, the Bible says that they grumbled against Moses and they said, what are we going to drink? And we hear in verse 23 that they land in a place called Mara, which means bitter waters. I wonder what the place was called before they named it Mara. But because when they drank the water, the water was bitter. When you've traveled for three days and your water supplies are probably lowered and you want to replenish your water, this place didn't provide the opportunity. If they're not able to drink the water after three days, it must have been pretty bad. I've been, if you've been to Dalesford, there are, there's a space in Dalesford where you can go and um, turn, the, turn the taps on and, and drink the water from the, um, the, the, the mineral springs. And it's come, obviously coming up from under the ground, and each one tastes slightly different. And they are feral. The water's disgusting. I just, like, I just was like, why would, you, why would you make us do this? There's a tap there. Great. Oh, no, don't have that. It's this bitter taste. It's, it sort of tastes like you're drinking metal at some stage. It's awful. <laughs> but this must have been bad for them to not be able to drink it at all. You think of it. If you're so thirsty, I'd probably still drink that metal water from Dalesford. But they couldn't drink it. So the first thing they do is they remember the past and go, Lord, you saved us before. No, the first thing they do is they go and grumble. <laughs> they can't see a way forward. They grumble. What short memories. It was only three days ago that they were walking through the sea on dry land. God saved them in the most miraculous way. But instead of turning to God through the unknown, they turn to Moses and they have a whinge. We hear in Exodus 20, uh, 15.25 that rather than chastising the people, Moses actually advocates for them. He shows a lot of grace. Would have been easy to go, can't you remember what we just did? <laughs> can't you remember where we came from? Big sea, horses, 
saved. <laughs> and in verse 25 it says, Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. The first water filtration system. <laughs> God, our provider, not only provided a way out of Egypt, but early in their travels into the wilderness was providing for them again. You'd think that this early rescue would be enough to remind them of who he is, who God is, and to keep them following him. Unfortunately not. Because the very next chapter, as they continue to wander the desert, chapter 16, verse 2 and 3 says, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to him, If only we died by the Lord's hands in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Pretty severe. <laughs> Short memories. Continually their thoughts were on their past, regardless of what the reality was like back then. And regardless of the way that God had continually provided for them since. They were, they were slaves in Egypt. They were beaten. They were made to work under ridiculous circumstances. God had released them from these conditions and now led them forward into a new reality. However, it was a reality that they didn't know and they could no longer canoe into the same space. And it caused them to look back fondly on a system that was killing them. It was not going to help them. So I've started thinking about these Israelites wandering into the unknown, always thinking about their past. And I've considered what are some of the lessons that we can learn from them through this COVID space. And I've come up with three. And I know that you've come, you'll have plenty of more. But I've come up with three that I thought, well, let's, let's explore a little bit. And then afterwards, we're going to just end it. We're saying, well, how do we move forward? Lesson one that I think we can learn is that we're all dealing with grief. We're all dealing with grief in some way. It's very weird, real. COVID grief is a real thing. And we're all dealing with it in some way. The Israelites, they had to deal with this over the many years of oppression. And after leaving, they had to deal with the fact that what they have known is now no longer. And they're dealing with that change of grief. When there's dramatic change in the life of an individual, an organisation, a world, there's often loss associated. No matter how we look at things, we've all been through uh, massive upheaval in the last two years. Loss of work, loss of income, loss of security, loss of relationship, loss of stability, the loss of the church that we once new. We look around even our church and it's vastly different to what we had two and a half years ago before we started lockdown. We didn't have people online. So good to have you. We don't see everyone coming back. Many people are still online, which is great. And those who are sick can be online. Those who are on holiday can be around wherever they may be. But some people may not come back at all because it's accelerated this space. But what some of the findings are, and I meet with a, a fellow who talks to pastors all over the world, is that 30 to 70% of people are coming back to church. Only 30 to 70% in churches. The future looks very different 
from what the past is. And whilst our past doesn't go back and look at the heavy oppression of Pharaoh and, uh, and the Israelites being so heavily under this, this oppression, our past looks very different to what the future will look like as well. And we need to know that we're probably grieving a bit over it. So we've got to acknowledge this is going to be hard. We're going to be dealing with, the, with loss in the church, not just our church, in the church we're going to be dealing with a society that is so totally changed that it doesn't understand this message anymore. There's grief. Loss forms grief. We've got to acknowledge it. And we've also got to make space. Space to allow people to grieve. Space to allow people to express. So I want to encourage you to keep your dialogue open. Keep your dialogue open with those who uh, you're in relationship with. Ask people, how are they going with the changes that have gone on in the last two years? Be real to one another. To someone who hasn't come back to church or is struggling and you know they're struggling, give them a call and see how they're doing. Ask them, how can I pray for you? Some people might not even realise that this is a real thing, that there is grief and not understand it. You know what? There might be for you something even deeper. That grief might have hit you really hard, and maybe you need to go see a professional as well. Don't not ask for help. It's a real thing. It's not, it's not a, sh- a thing to be ashamed of. It's a real thing. Ask for help. Ask for prayer. Ask, can I talk to you? COVID grief is well. Don't presume it's not impacting you. The second thing that we've had to learn over this last couple of years is that we need to be in relationship more than ever now. Relationships are so vital, more than we ever have known. COVID broke deep relationships. COVID broke deep relationships. We had access to Zoom, and that was good. We all got to, got to learn a new thing, technology. But two years in, who wanted to use Zoom anymore? None of us. <laughs> it was never going to substitute for having a meal. We had um, Zoom meals with people um, that lived like more than five kilometres away from us. They might have lived like 10 kilometres away. And we'd have Zoom meals. It was not, not, nowhere near the same, was it? Working alongside colleagues in an office and going to the water cooler and, and having a, a yarn together. They were lost. So therefore relationships were lost. That's why we talk about connect groups in this church being so vital because it's a form of space where people can meet together regularly, where people can come together and be in community and developing those deeper relationships. We want to see more people in connect groups. We we think that that's the the key part for the developing of relationships, where people online can meet people that come into church and connect in new ways where faith is growing through it. Over COVID times, where there was only five of us in the building on a Sunday, we, we built a really, it was actually quite, quite nice, we built a, a really strong little connection, the five people that were here. But I realised the importance of our foyer. I realised that the importance of just wandering through the foyer and talking to the people is, is a vital thing. Maybe they're not long conversations in the foyer as you sort of meander through to get to the other side and get out of the the church. 
But those little connection points are really important. It might just be the literal, hi, how are you going? Hi, it's good to see you. It might just be someone reaching out and go, oh, I don't know your name. Sorry, what was your name? It might be those sort of things. The small chats, we lost that through COVID. It's, I'm, I'm enjoying having our foyer again, full of people. It's really wonderful having a, having a coffee and being there with people. Because we can get to see each other again. And we get to say hi to one another again. We get to tell each other, you know, it's been a hard week. We get to tell each other, you know what, this happened this week. Our house nearly burnt down this week. How crazy is that? <laughs> God was amazing. Um, like, I, I, was, I wasn't feeling great at the start of the week, so I said, oh, I'll stay at home. I'll work from home. And um, I sort of was downstairs and smelt this thing. And there was a, there was a not like a fire. I'm like, um, maybe it's outside, but I'll check it out. There was no sort of obvious areas in our house that was, was done. So like, I'll go outside and make sure that no one's burning off. It smells pretty close. Go around the, the corner of our house and there's flames going up the side of the house. I'm like, oh, that's not good. It's not ideal. <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, as the water had gotten into a, um, a switch and it just started fire like going up the house. Yes, yeah, interesting. I got a, got, a, um, got a wet blanket and put it on top and put it out. And, but yeah, not great. <laughs> Why was I telling you that? I don't know. God's good. That's good. Um, anyway, God made us for relationships. So we've got to continue to lean into relationships and to tell the little stories that, that happen through our week. What's God been doing? How's God shown up? Where's God in it? Once again, if you haven't seen someone for a while here, give them a text. Say, hey, how you doing? Give them a call after church. Hey, missed you. Hey, come along to the Kill Slice Club next week. and We're going to have some lunch there. Why don't you come along? I was chatting with Solari just yesterday, and she was busy texting someone. I said, who are you texting? He goes, oh, just someone that I hadn't seen for a while. Their name popped into my mind, so, so I just thought I'd text them. That's not hard. We can do that. It popped into her mind. She does that very well, my wife. She's very good at it. But make sure you do it. Make sure when someone pops into your mind, if you haven't got your phone on you or if you haven't got the time, just write it on a note. Write it on your hand, wherever it might be, so that you remember to do it later. So that's... That's that, relationships. The third thing, our programs of the past may not engage in the same way that they used to. This is the third thing that I've been thinking about. What used to work pre-COVID may not work now. It goes for everything, not just church. It goes for businesses, schools, retail shopping. They've had to change how they do things. New adaptions have had to become the new normals. New ways of sharing faith with others who may have no terms of reference for Christianity has had to change. Ministries that we knew to be good and healthy in the past may not be ones that can be even sustainable into the future. And we have to accept these things. There's a reality to it. Things are different. Our world is different. We heard it. It's a changing society. The church is no longer central to our society. The church is on the fringe Things are different. We're heading into uncharted territories, and the canoes that we once used are not going to take us up the mountain to get us, to get us out of it. You might have other things that you've gone, yeah, I'd love to hear what your, what your musings over COVID has been. What are some of the things that you've learned? Let me know. Shoot me an email. Give me a text. Give me a call. Let's have a coffee. I'd love to hear those sort of things because it shapes who we are. But I just want to finish by looking at God's advice to the Israelites as they started walking through the desert, as they started trying to navigate this transition. And we read it in verses 25 and 26 
of uh, chapter 15. It says, There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. The Lord issued rules and instructions for them to follow and gives us three, three and a half, four hints at how to walk forward into the unknown of these spaces. The first one is, it says, listen to the Lord carefully. Listen to the Lord your God carefully. The challenge for the Israelites was to do exactly what they were not doing. Because by grumbling and going to Moses and Aaron, it meant that they were looking at the past. They weren't focusing on what God had done to bring them to where they were. They weren't focusing on the pillar of smoke or the fire that was leading them forward. So God's first sort of issue for them was, you've got to listen. Don't listen to the voices of the past. Don't listen to the voices that oppressed you. Listen to my voice. Listen to my voice that's guiding you into the future, moving you into the unknown. Going there demands us to listen to God. It means we've got to be listen, listening. And to listen, it means we've got to stay close with God. Our personal faith journey is important to hearing from God. The second thing he says is, do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. See, listening sort of lends itself to obedience. If we hear from God, if we're listening to God, there's going to be an action following what God asks us to do. If we're obedient to God, we're going to do what is right in his eyes. We've got to remember that this is a time in Israel's life where they were still wandering. It was in their early days of wandering in the desert. They didn't have the law with them yet. They're still working out what community looked like. It's a new community. It's not one that is oppressive. This is a whole new community. They're still working out what right and wrong really meant in this community. And God is saying, live in a way that honours me. Live in a way that honours me. Listening and obedience, they've got to go hand in hand for a community of God to walk into the unknown. The third thing he says is pay attention to his commands and keep his decrees. This is the obedience factor, isn't it? Do the things that I command you. Keep the decrees that I set. If you do these things, then... It's, it's sort of like a covenant relationship. If, then. So like in, in computing, if this happens, then that happens. It's, it's, a, it's a relationship here. He says, if you do this, if you're obedient, if you do the things that I command, if you listen to my voice, if you do this, then I will not bring onto you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord. That sets it, doesn't it? For I am the Lord. Not anyone else. For I am the Lord, and I'm the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who provides you water. I am the Lord that provides you manna from heaven. I am the Lord that gives you meat to eat when there is no meat. I am the Lord that protects. I am the Lord that brings you through the sea. I am the Lord that takes you out of oppression. I am the Lord that leads you into the wilderness. So God's calling his people to a closer relationship with him. 
Keep my decrees. Do what I command, and I will protect you. There is a responsibility on us, isn't it? The responsibility on us is to pay attention to God. Do what he asks. Be true to scripture. And what comes with that? The absolute assurance that God will have your back. That God will have my back. That God will lead us into new places, into new spaces. That the road ahead, it might look totally different. We may not know what the road ahead looks like, but with God on our side, it doesn't need, we don't need to know all the answers. We might change. Society might change even further. The church may get pushed so far aside that we become a very minor, I think we're already a very fairly minority voice in society, but a very minority voice in society. Maybe not. Maybe God's raising up uh, a group of people to speak into that, to speak out against it. We don't know. But he calls us to close relationship with him. So let's canoe down the river. But let's remember that the canoe may have to get ditched. That maybe as we, don't, we won't have all the answers, but we can be confident that God's leading us. If we listen carefully, do what is right in his eyes, pay attention to his commands and his decrees, we'll be paddling in the right direction. And when the canoe is no longer useful, perhaps he'll bring us a helicopter to get over those crazy mountains. Let's be a church that follows God into the wilderness, the unknown spaces, being prepared to do things that perhaps we haven't done before, not looking at what we had, not grumbling about where we are, but trusting that as we enter into this covenant relationship with God, that we're moving into what God has in store for us. Amen.